At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Good morning, Woodside Romeo. How y'all doing this morning? It is honored and privileged to be able to come and speak with you and bring to you God's Word. Pastor Billy and Amy are having some time alone and some recoup time. And, you know, for those of us who've ever served in ministry, it's good to have those times alone with your family. So thank you for allowing them to have those times because it lets them come back and just really be energized to continue serving and loving you. And so um, thank you so much, Kip. And just give it up to the, uh, I know they would never ask for this, but the praise team, man, weren't they awesome this morning? Amen. And they would never ask for that because, you know, they're lead worshipers. They're leading us into this kind of place to, for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts about the reality of who Christ is and who he wants to be in our life. So if this is your first time with us, whether you're watching online right now, welcome you. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you may not know who I am, my name is uh, Travis Jewell. I'm a chaplain in the United States Navy. I'm also serving with the Coast Guard. So the Navy uh, not only uh, serves the uh, Navy Coast Guard, but also the Marine Corps. So my wife, Misty, and our uh, seven kids, yes, that is seven kids, uh, ranging from 16 down to two. Praise God, yes. We were, when God said, be fruitful and multiply, we took that very seriously. So, and because of that, you know, we, God led us up here from Jacksonville, Florida, uh, last December. I've been serving in the Navy now 10 years um, and been married to my beautiful wife almost 19 years. And so uh, you'll, uh, you've met my wife probably through maybe uh, some of our women's ministry. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Romeo. You, you don't know us. Some of you may, but you all have loved on our family so much. And just the honor and privilege to be able to, just to share with you what God is doing um, through you and in God's Word through this series. And, you know, my wife, Misty, and the kids are going to be here at the 11 o'clock service. And, you know, I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, so most of my family talk like this. And so if you hear a little bit of action, it might come out like this. But, you know, uh, I was a full-time ministry for about 14 years with students in college, Went to Southern Seminary, University of Louisville, and then we went up to uh, Perrysburg, Ohio, First Baptist Perrysburg. I was served on staff there as the Associate Minister of Students and Families. And then we moved down to Arkansas, was at Central Baptist Church in uh, Magnolia, Arkansas, and then we joined the Navy in 2011. God kind of took us to 29 Palms, or 29 Stumps, for some of those. Era, if you've ever been to Marines, you know where that's at. You're like, I don't want to go there. I never want to go there. Near Joshua Tree National Forest uh, Park out in the Mojave Desert. Served with 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines, deployed to Helmand Province, Afghanistan in 2013. Brought back everybody alive. It was the first combat tour that we had brought all of our Marines back without any KAs, which it's always a good day. You never have to do a memorial when you get back home. You're prepared for those things, but you, you, it's great when we don't have to do those. Then I served with 1st Tanks out of Camp Pendleton. Then we moved to Kings Bay, Georgia, all the way across the coast in St. Mary's, Georgia, right on the Florida, Georgia state line. No, not like the band, but And so... We were there, and um, I was the deputy command chaplain. I also preached at our Protestant chapel service for three years, more like parish ministry like this. Got to ride on our big boomers, our big, huge submarines, many times with our folks underwater. That's a whole 
another experience if you've ever been to the water in a big giant metal tube. If you're claustrophobic, God bless you, right? And so it's a tough place. But we serve with the silent community. And then just recently, we were in Jacksonville, Florida at Naval Station Mayport serving with two destroyers, the Sullivans, named after, coincidentally, the five Sullivans brothers who went down with the Juno battle in 1942 in the Battle of Guadalcanal. Five brothers all enlisted at the same time, and their motto is, we stick together. <clears throat> and they all went down through after a kamikaze, a Japanese kamikaze, hit their ship, the uh, light cruiser, the Juno, in um, November of 1942. And so our ship was named after them. So I got to deploy with them in 5th and 6th Fleet, and then we came up here in um, December to serve with the Coast Guard. Homeland Security buys about 45 billets positions from the Navy, so we get to put on their Coast Guard uniform and get to serve our fine women of the United States Coast Guard. And so thank you uh, those, to those brave men and women who get and put on those uniforms. Whether you're a first responder, our, our firefighters, our healthcare workers, thank you. Thank you for what you do, because it's been a tough season, hasn't it? It's been a tough season the last couple of years. And if you got a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7. Now, as you're turning to Romans chapter 7, how's this series been for you? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's, for me, it's, uh, it's been great. But it's also been very convicting. Particularly if you've never been through Romans or if maybe you have gone through Romans before. And we've been going through the Romans for the last several weeks. And, you know, one time I'm feeling very encouraged as I read Romans, but other times it's been convicting. It's been a humdinger. It's been getting me right here like, okay, Lord, are you really, are you just talking to me? Is it, it, I feel like I'm the only one in the room you're talking to. If you think it's easy to, if you think it's hard to hear it preached every week by Pastor Billy and so many others, how about trying to prepare to teach it to yourself? It, it feels very convicting. And, and I'm simultaneously encouraged, but I'm also beaten down. It's kind of like a good workout. How many times have you ever signed up for something and you're like, eh, I don't really know what I'm going to get out of this, but I'll just kind of keep the bar kind of low. And you kind of go there with some buddies and maybe kind of move or jiggle around a little bit for 30 minutes and maybe get a little sweat or something. Maybe it does something, maybe it doesn't. And you're like, whew, I feel pretty good about myself. Check mark. But other times, maybe you know some folks like this. Maybe you're this person yourself. You go and you're like, come on, let's go do a workout. You're like, okay. And you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And all of a sudden, you are shaking and moving. You're like, oh my gosh, am I going to die? How's my heart rate? Oh my word. Woo! And you're just like, when is this going to be done? This is like the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. We had a command PT at Naval Station Kings Bay uh, where they had this thing called uh, um, flexible yoga. Now, what does that mean? Now, for those of you in yoga, you're thinking, oh, my. I'm, and I'm not really a flexible person. I like, you know, working out. I like sports, those kind of things. But flexibility, if you ask anybody who knows me, it's not one of my fortes. And so I was like, let's just go. Check it out. So we went outside and was kind of outside. It was a pretty day in Kings Bay. And we're doing all these weird poses, which I'm not going to demonstrate, by the way. Okay, so, you know, downward dog and all these weird trees. What is the tree? What is the tree? You're standing, you're stretching, you're holding, you're like, every muscle is shaking, you're like, sweat's pouring off of you, and you're not even moving. You're like, what is happening to me, right? And, and these guys are big, huge guys, like, this is the worst thing ever, chaps. I'm like, oh my gosh, is, will this ever be done? And so we finally get through it, and we're smoke-checked, we're sweating, we're just like totally exhausted. But in some weird way, we actually don't feel as bad as we thought we would. And the next morning, I was actually a little bit flexible in areas I didn't even know I could be flexible in. Some areas I didn't want to be flexible in at first, if you know what I mean. But some places I needed to be flexible. 
so it, it allowed me to be more open for things that I was wanting to do better that I didn't even know. So something that I thought wasn't really going to benefit me, something I didn't even really necessarily want to do, something that was really hard and stretched me actually helped me grow. That is what the book of Romans is to me, particularly as we're getting into Romans chapter 7. Personally, for me, when I knew that we as a church family were going through the book of Romans, I knew we would eventually get to Romans 7. And if you're a Bible studier, if, you, if you've been to the book of Romans, if whether or not, or this is the first time with us, this is a humdinger. And we're kind of in this series, newish. Everything's changed to view. And here we go. Paul is writing to a Jewish Christian audience and Gentiles. You have two groups of people, the pagan Gentiles who had all their idol worship, and these Jews who had the Torah, the law, for hundreds of thousands of years. And now they are coming together under one banner of Christ. Sound familiar? We come from all different walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities. And here we are under Christ. And so here is, we see right here on the incredible things of what, you know, being dead to sin and alive in Christ. We are saved by faith through grace alone and Christ alone. And then right here, usually on the tip of these kind of really amazing things, I am utterly aware of my depravity and my sinfulness and that I am utterly unworthy to be up here standing before you today apart from the saving work of Christ in my life. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. And here, just to kind of catch you up, okay, whether this is your first time with us or you've been following along the series, Paul is talking here about the gospel and its implications to this Jewish Christian and Gentile audience. So if you, Romans chapter 1 kind of starts us off like this. Basically, Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus invites us into an entirely new life. It's fundamentally proclaiming that we are all without excuse. And that God has revealed himself to us, generally through nature, but specifically through his son, Jesus Christ. And then in Romans chapter 2, it says that it's the kindness of God that leads to our repentance. It's not his anger. It's his kindness. It's one of my favorite verses, that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And it's not obedience to religious rules. Don't do these things, do these things. No. It's a personal relationship. We're going to talk about this today. Then you get to Romans chapter 3, and the big problem is sin. But we have a bigger solution, and that is in Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and we see this right here, that we have all fallen short of the glory, the standard that Billy talked about, that standard of perfection, holiness, righteousness. It doesn't matter if you talk one little bad thought or you are the, what you think is the worst of the worst. We have all fallen short of that perfect standard that God laid out for us. But don't you just love conjunctions? The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is good news, folks. That is the gospel. And that God has given us the eternal life. He is not only the just, he is the justifier. And then by the time you get to Romans chapter 4, Paul begins to introduce to us the foundation for the rest of the book of Romans. That we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Period. So when you get to Romans chapters 5 and 6... Basically, he's kind of starting to talk about the implications of that justification by faith, right? That we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, right? And what does that mean? Whether you're on team Adam or you're on team Jesus, there are no exceptions. 
And that for two chapters, we have been walking through what Paul is talking about, that you have now been set free from sin. Therefore, right, God invites us to a new way. That's hence why we entitled this called newish. Everything's changed. Have you? The transformation the gospel brings is radically new. But let's be honest. Old habits die hard, don't they? Old habits die hard. And so, so Paul is saying here, hey, I've got these Jewish Christians and Gentiles. And you're telling us that we're supposed to have this new life? Well, what about the law, Paul? What about the Ten Commandments? What about all these things we've been trying to do to earn God's favor, to make ourselves right before God? Are we supposed to just throw that out? I've been growing up in church my whole life. Pastor, I've prayed the prayer. I've walked down the aisle. I've read my Bible. I've done these certain things and prayers and rites. You tell me I'm just supposed to give those things up now because I'm in Christ? What is that supposed to look like practically, Paul? And now Paul is going to unpack that for us today as we get into Romans chapter 7. Paul says in Romans 6, 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that's where we're at today, right? You may have made a decision for Christ, and now what, right? We sing our praises to God. We hear these amazing messages by God's people through God's word, right? And we, and we, and we hear his testimonies of how he's working in people's lives. And I've heard testimonies of how God is working in your life through this series, and it's so encouraging. But right on the heels of that, what do I have to deal with after this sermon? I have to deal with me. And I walk out of this door and I'm feeling great. I'm feeling pumped. I'm feeling like, man, I can do this. And you know what happens? Tuesday morning happens and I'm walking around like, I thought I was dead to sin and alive in Christ. Why am I wading all in this stuff all over again? What's wrong with me? We're going to get to that next week. <laughs> A little spoiler alert, right? And so for Paul... The big idea that he wants us to hear today is that belonging to Christ leads us to bear fruit in Christ. That's, that's where we're going today. And he's going to unpack it with three realities that's in your worship guide. I highly encourage you, if you don't have it, you open up your worship guide. We're going to be kind of walking through that today. Three applications, three realities that Paul wants us to understand of because we are now new in Christ, we've been dead to sin, alive in Christ, there is something that is being produced. There's something that's being grown. It's going to come out of us from the inside out because he is producing it, not we. For Paul, if we are to experience and begin this, this bearing fruit, it starts by recognizing our belonging to Christ. If we don't recognize that we have a relationship with Christ, we are just doing it out of our own works. We're trying to just, uh, just muster up enough strength to do it on our own. Well, let me ask you, how's that working for you? How's it going? It's kind of like a New Year's resolution, right? You kind of, you get, you, you kind of put your mind to just, just think positive thoughts. Just put your mind on it and you'll get yourself through anything. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. I can't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's. And you say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to stop doing whatever it is. And I'm going to start doing this. And then what happens? Sin, temptation, those baits. And you see, Paul begins this first section by seeking to allow these three realities. And the first reality is, number one, belonging to Christ releases us from the law. Verses 1 through 4a. You see, Paul begins this section with a continuation of chapter 6. 
okay? He un, he's continuing to unpack chapter 6. And now he's going to focus his gaze on addressing how that reality of the union with Christ now impacts his audience and us today, our life. So what? It's kind of like the so what? I, I hear this truth, but how is that truth applying to my life today? This, this law which helped them have a right standing. This law which helped them have their identity, their life. This is how they thought saw self-worth. Paul has to help them see how does this union with Christ change their fundamental relationship to this law, which held them captive, which held them enslaved. They didn't even know it. And if you get to Romans chapter 7, verse 1, I encourage you, Romans chapter 7, verse 1 says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. He's talking to church folks, people. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ here. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now remember, he's not talking about physically lives. He's going to use that as an illustration, okay? But he's not going to uh, just kind of just stick with the illustration. So don't get wrapped up around the axle about the illustration. It can be a little confusing here, particularly if you've read the Romans. You're thinking, okay, I get Romans chapter 6, and I get verses 7 to 14, but what is he talking about marriage? He's going to be talking about marriage and remarriage and adultery. Like, where are you going with this, Paul? So the point of the illustration that we're going to talk about is not the illustration, So bear with me here, okay? What he's saying here is that Paul is reminding us that we have died to the law, that we've died to sin, and that we're resurrected to Christ, okay? That's what Paul's saying here. And then we get to verse 2, he's going to give us an illustration. Look at verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Whoa, Paul, what are you talking about here? What is going on? Right? It's a little confusing. In other words, if I died, my wife Misty is free to to marry whoever she wants to, right? Till death do us part. She died, we parted. Now, I, I would really hope that my wife would remarry, right? I really would. I mean, having seven kids, that's a lot, right? And so you think about herself, I really hope that she would marry. Now, hopefully she would marry maybe somebody rich and maybe a little shorter than me, but maybe she'd be slightly disappointed her whole life, but that's a whole nother message on pride. <laughs> we'll talk about pride next week. Okay, so pride, that's a whole nother sermon, but you know, hey, if you're listening to this, babe, I love you, right? And so you think about that, right? And, but Paul is here saying, hey, listen, Verse 3, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, here's what Paul's saying. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, hang tight for a second. Just bear, hang on just a second, right? If, he, if you're a Christian, because he's talking to Christians. So if you're a Christian, he's basically saying, um, before you were in Christ, before you became a Christian, Okay, you were married to this law. In other words, your only hope, your only righteous, your only self-worth was wrapped up in what we call self-atonement. What is self-atonement? Self-atonement is that every sin has to be paid for. 
And I'm basically saying, I'm going to pay for it. And the way that I'm going to pay for it, God, is I'm going to do these things. I'm going to obey these commandments. I'm going to do these things. And I'm not going to do these things. And somehow it turns out it doesn't work, does it? How's that, go? How's that working for you? So when we are in Christ, Paul says we die to that way of thinking and being married to or joined to, right? But rather, we are now joined to, instead of a self-atonement, we are joined to substitutionary atonement. Now, what does that mean? Basically saying, okay, and God, instead of me trying to do this on my own and somehow earn your favor and you would be happy and proud of me one day, look at all the things that I've done. I've gave to compassion. I've gave to all these wonderful things, these missions and these other causes. I'm, I'm serving in the church. I am doing all these things for you. Shouldn't you be proud of me? My family never was. My father never was. Shouldn't you be proud of what I'm doing? That should be enough, shouldn't it? But that's, that's not the gospel. Substitutionary church, it's not about what I've done. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? And by trusting that somehow, believing that when Jesus died, it counted for you. It counted for you. And by believing by faith that Jesus did for me that what I could not do for myself, that is what gives me a right standing before God. Not me. And Paul is saying, wow. I am dead to the law, to sin. I am no longer joined or married to this law and sin like a marriage, but now I am joined to what Christ did for me. That's the gospel. See, the gospel is not God is good, I am bad, try harder, see you next week. That's what gets taught a lot. The gospel is God is good. And I'm not just bad, I am dead. I am a wretched, black-hearted sinner. You're like, oh, that's kind of harsh, Travis. Because we compare ourselves, right? I can always find somebody I look a little better than. Maybe smell a little better too, right? But at the end of the day, my my righteousness, Isaiah says, is like filthy rags. I won't go into detail about that, but it's pretty hardcore. It's bad. It's dead. And dead people can't make themselves alive. Only one who conquered death can. And that's the gospel, that we are to not only recognize that in Christ we died to that law, but now we can begin to embrace the new life God has for us. And so we don't have to be bound up with all this stuff that we've been in just kind of held captive. We are being released because once the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And now we know this, this next reality is not only we are free from the law, he's now transitioning to our second reality is that belonging to Christ weds us to him. Look at verse four. Paul says, because of everything we just read, so that he's doing all these things so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. He's talking about the purpose of why we've been free. Why have you been free? So that you can be married to another. Not to the world, not to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's good and perfect and pleasing will is. He highlights one of the critical realities concerning Jesus, namely his resurrection from the grave. That's what we think about baptism. Therefore, you've been, you've been buried in the likeness of Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. We got to see that a few weeks ago. It's always encouraging to see that. And that is what Paul is trying to remind us. Our only hope of salvation lies in the resurrection of Jesus. Because if the tomb is empty, anything's possible. Think about that for a second. 
If Christ can conquer the grave, do you think he can conquer your marriage? Do you think he can conquer your pain? And I'm not saying he's going to take the pain away from you. I'm not going to say he's going to cure you. See, Jesus never promised to take the pain away. He promised to see us through the pain. He promised to see us through the fire because there's another in the fire. Amen. See, if we belong to Jesus, then we have died with Christ and died to the sin of law. But we've also been resurrected. We have power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in us. Think about that. Think about that. Living in us. And, and, and there's a lot more we can unpack here. So this is where I would encourage you. If you're not in a life group, I highly encourage you to get in a life group. Because this section right here goes a lot deeper. And for the sake of time, I would encourage you to go a little bit deeper. There's some great questions, particularly for our life group leaders. that have some more questions that dive deeper into this section about being married, wed to Christ. So if you're not in one, I encourage you to get in one. If you don't know how to, ask one of us afterwards and we will connect you. Which leads us to now not only this kind of call to living our union with Christ, but Paul turns to our third and final reality. Number three, belonging to Christ empowers us, okay, a new way to serve. Look at verses four through six. Romans chapter seven, verse four. Paul says, okay, you, he, he's building a case here, right? We just got done seeing all this stuff, therefore, so, right? And now we get to here, it says, I told you all this truth, Why? You ever have those kids ask why? You tell them something like, why? And then you kind of tell them again. They're like, why? Because I said so, right? And you're like, I don't want to be one of those parents. I don't want to be one of those kind of people who says because I said so. And Paul is just trying to build that case. I'm telling you all this for a reason. Why? So that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 4. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. In other words, while we were living in our flesh, before we knew Jesus, our flesh, our, there were these sinful passions just inside of us. It's like these things that were just in there, these appetites, these desires, the, these things that we wanted. We're going to talk about that next week, particularly. Listen, they're there whether you want to admit it or not. And when you are married to the flesh, Paul says, married to this law, these standards of the world, then we are, we are obedient to those sinful desires. Because the current prevailing message in this culture, you just need to do what you want to do that makes you happy. Are you happy? You see, happiness is kind of like grabbing the mist in the air, right? There's a big difference between happiness and joy. See, happiness is based on circumstances. You know, you probably wouldn't be too happy right now if I jumped on stage and maybe messed up the mic and they run around. I can't keep track of chaps because you're not going between the two mics. So you probably wouldn't be too happy, be a little distracted, like we're never going to ask this guy to come back again because he's kind of weird and loud, right? However, joy is based on something completely different. Joy is based on our identity when our identity is found in Christ because he knows us. He calls us. He loves us. Not because we're lovable, but because of who he is. And because of that reality, then in order for us to be true to our true self, it's not just making ourselves happy and do what we want to do. Because in our culture, it says, you should never tell yourself no, but only tell yourself yes. Hmm. The problem with that is, there's two ways that we handle that. It, we, we try to feed that appetite. However, it's never fully satisfied, is it? 
Because what happens? It's more and now. I want more and I want it now. Kind of like the Finding Nemo. Mind, 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 mind. I just want it. They just can't help themselves. Right? It's mine. I want it now. And Paul is saying here in verse 5, when you feed that appetite, it will bear fruit. Kind of like the apple uh, passion billy top. It looks great on the outside. You buy it up. You get that nice, uh, what was the kind of apples that he liked last week? Uh, Thank you, Honeycrisp. That's my wife's favorite, Honeycrisp. We're talking about this. I mean, I can't wait to bite in this Honeycrisp. And ah, you're like, oh my goodness, this thing tastes like old hot dog water, right? You're like, what is wrong with this thing, right? And you're like, oh, it looks so good on the outside, but it's just rotten. And that's what, that's what Jesus called the Pharisees. You look great on the outside. You know all the right things to say, but you're like walking tombs. You're a brood of vipers. And he's like, that's hard talk to the Pharisees. These people knew the law. They memorized it. I don't know about you, I have a hard time memorizing my social security number, much alone scripture. These people knew this law, but they didn't know the one who made the law. Big difference. And understanding and receiving that, now Paul goes to verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written call. And understanding that reality... That enables us to go from a different place of motive. I will still serve you, Christ. I will still do these things for you, but it's not because I'm trying to earn my favor, to earn my worth. It's because of what Christ has did that motivates me to live differently. You see the difference? It's the motivation for why you do what you do, not just what you do on the surface, which is hard, isn't it? Because that's a hard thing to see sometimes, isn't it? Because only God really sees the heart. See, if you don't understand this first, folks, this is the essence of Christianity, especially if you're a good old church folk, right? So basically, Paul is saying here that you have died to that which has held us captive. Why? So that we can serve in this new way, okay? Now, now how do we handle that? One, two ways. And the first way is that we just keep doing our written code. You know what? I'm, what's insanity, right? Keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And that's what kind of happens here. I'm just going to keep doing it, and eventually it's going to break through. I'm going to continue obeying this written code. And again, if you, even if you're not religious, you've got your own code. You've got your own standard. And many times we look through the world through that standard. We see people. We judge people. We look at people. We have our perspectives. Okay? That's how we see others. And Paul says, if you were religious, like many of us, right? You may have thought, man, I'm going to be zealous. I'm going to do all these things for Christ. But there's an interesting passage we get to in Luke 7 and Matthew where Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. But I did all these works in your name. I cast out demons. I don't know about you. It's, I've never cast out a demon. Maybe you have. That's cool, right? If God enables you to do that, God bless you in your ministry. But it's not every day I see people just casting out demons. And you may have moved, had faith to move mountains. And I did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And you know the scariest thing for any pastor? Is they, they preach to people every week. And they preach their brains out, praying that God does something in them that they couldn't do in their own selves. And they raise their hands, they, they say a prayer, they walk out that, has anything changed? Do you know Jesus? Not about him. Not about all the facts about him, about who he was. See, you've got to understand that God's word is not only true, it's trustworthy. Do you trust it? Do you trust him? Or, instead of obeying your own written code, you can do a new way. From the Spirit. Christianity is not sin management, folks. You can't tame sin. You have to mortify it. You have to kill it. It killed the sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ. And if it killed him, it's killing us. 
You've got to get it from the inside out, folks. You can't just put, you can't just put a, uh, like my own battalion commander said, you can't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. You can't. That's not Christianity. It's what's taught a lot. Look this way, act this way, sing this, read this, do this. It's because I am accepted by Christ, therefore I obey him out of love. Love motivated Jesus to do what he said. Not my will, but your will be done. If there be any other way, take this cup from me, God. But he did it because he loved you. Not because you were lovable, but because of who he is. You see, we are living from faith, not for faith. Think about that. We're not trying to earn our faith. God is going to give us that faith, and then he empowers us to do something. It's kind of like this illustration. Pastor Tony Evans uh, out of Texas kind of talked about this story called a grace dog. And for those of you who have dogs or animals, you kind of relate to this. And he basically says, if you have a dog who has a a law dog, they are very caught up in every time the the dog sees his master, he puts his tail between his legs or she does. And she kind of cowers and, you know, comes up and looks, looks, is okay. You know, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to hit you with this little paper thing, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you who's boss. I'm going to show you. You better straighten up. You better live up to my standard. You better not pee on the floor. You better not jump up my furniture. You better look the part when people come over or I'll put you in the cage. But a grace dog has a different relationship with his master. That grace dog doesn't keep his tail between his legs. He or she comes up and when the master comes home, he or she is glad to see him. You know why? Because that relationship is built off trust and love. And that's my question to you. Who or what is your relationship built on? Trying to do it your own way? How's that working for you? I don't know about you folks, but our world needs Jesus. Particularly right now in our culture, with everything going on, people need Jesus. They need to know the reality of who he is and who he wants to be in their life. Remember, the big idea is belonging to Christ leads us to bearing fruit in Christ. As we fellowship with our crucified and risen Savior, we start to bear the fruit of change. And it may be subtle. It may not be noticeable right now. But God, what God starts in you, he will see to completion. You see, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And he will give you everything you need to accomplish his will. Everything. Because he doesn't make junk. Well, he starts and he's going to see to fruition. Because he always, he, always ha- he, always, uh, he always keeps his promises. He never lets us go. His love never fails. Amen? But as we rejoice and meditate in this, this, this new reality of who Christ is, these true spiritual fruits are produced. And as we experience that freedom, I'm telling you, folks, it is freedom of knowing that God accepts us, not because that we can make our flesh act rightly, but as a free act of grace based on what Jesus did, we can actually receive the strength to do what God has called us to do. Because our strength, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. For when we are weak, then we are strong. And then we can say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And therefore there is no condemnation, Romans chapter 8, we'll get there eventually. 
for those in Christ Jesus. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Would you close your eyes? Father God, we are here today and we are broken people. We all come from different places, but we are all at the same level at the foot of the cross. And Father God, I thank you for never letting us go. I thank you that no matter what we have done, it never, super, it never exceeds what you did on the cross for us. Our sin is never too great that grace cannot overcome that. That if you conquered the grave, you can conquer our marriage. You can conquer our addiction. You can conquer our pride, our anger, our shame, our unforgiveness. That is literally tearing us up inside, Lord. I pray, Lord, by the power of Jesus, that you would break through those barriers that have been holding us captive. That we can be set free and live out of, live from faith and not for faith that we would receive your gift. And my question for us, Lord, for many of us, we're asking this, do I really want it? Do I really want it? Am I ready to lay down and focus all my self-efforts and say, God, I can't do this. You are going to have to do it through me. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. As your eyes are closed, your head's about, maybe for the first time, there's nothing magical about the words that I've said. There's nothing magical about me, but somehow God spoke to you. And now the gospel demands a response. What are you going to do with this? You're going to shove it away? Well, that felt good. And then going back to doing what you've been doing? That's insanity. God is saying, I've got a new way. Trust me. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to walk you through that valley of the shadow of death. And I'm asking for you this morning, would you be willing to put your faith in Christ and to experience the incredible fruit of eternal life? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.